Good morning. Good morning. It's way better than 9.30. They were like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Hi, my name is Joe Valenti. I'm one of the pastors here. I serve with our students, middle school, high school, as well as our uh, missions department. And uh, as it relates to missions, a few things to mention to you. First, um, if you're new here, just to bring you into the loop, we're in the middle of a capital campaign where uh, we um, are trying to raise money for some different things. We want to invest more in our children and youth and young adults here. So we're trying to pay off the mortgage. But another piece of that is we wanted to translate the Bible into a language that it's never been translated into before with uh, some missionaries that we partner with on the other side of the world. And so as a church, we committed two $250,000 to that project to, to see the Bible translated, which left 100000 and change uh, left for the full cost of that translation. Well, a couple that you and I do not know that lives in Texas were so excited when they heard about what we were doing that they cut a check for the rest of it. So, yeah, pretty exciting. So, so... So the translation is paid for. Now it's just waiting for the translators to do their work. And so our, our friends on Pearl Island will have the Bible in their language, hopefully here in, uh, in a couple years, which is uh, awesome. So the other thing as it relates to missions is we're, is we're doing a, a parenting seminar called Empowered to Connect. And if you are still trying to figure out the parenting thing like I am, you do not want to miss Empowered to Connect. There's, there's, it's for all parents, but there's an emphasis on those of you who um, have adopted or interested in adoption and foster care. So make sure to check out cvcmissions.org slash empowered to, uh, to learn more about Empowered to Connect. There's actually a discount if you uh, are at CVC. So uh, check that out. As it relates to parenting though, like my daughter, maybe you've experienced this, but my daughter, she used to think like I was so wise and smart and now I'm not. Like, and so she has started to use this word and it's a word that I used to use with my mom when I was young. And it's not, it isn't one of those full phrases like, I hate you. Or I wish I was never in this family. You know, <laughs> I've heard those ones. But this one word, it sends me over the edge and it used to send my mom over the edge. It's this. Whatever. <laughs> you know? She's like, whatever, dad. And then I'm like, oh, little girl. <clears throat> you know? And I used to say that to my mom and she would go, don't you whatever me, Joseph. And I would, what does that even mean, mom? She was, she was here at last service and I go, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but here's the thing. So while, you know, you and I might use that term or have had it said to us, and the thing that makes it so maddening is it's just complete indifference. It's just like, whatever, you're grounded, whatever. I don't care. What are you going to do to me? You know, it's, <laughs> it's maddening because the person just doesn't care. And while a whatever attitude towards one another, you know, towards mom might get you another week of grounding or towards your boss might get you a talking to or might even get you fired, a whatever attitude towards God has far more dire consequences. And see, that's what's happening in the church in Laodicea. See, if you have not been here over the last several weeks, we've been in a series called Recalibrate in the book of Revelation, at the beginning of Revelation, before it gets into all of the end time prophecy, there are seven letters to seven churches in Asia Minor. And Jesus writes letters to these churches and he sort of tells them, hey, here are some things that you guys are doing really well, some thumbs up, and here's some things that need some work, some thumbs down. And he does those things to encourage them and, and to cause them to, to be strengthened and to grow. 
And two of the churches, the church in Smyrna and the church in Philadelphia, have nothing but thumbs up. Interestingly enough, they're very poor churches, and they're going through a lot of persecution, but they're holding fast to Christ in the middle of that, and so he gives them a thumbs up. Then there are four churches that are kind of in between. They're doing some things good and some things not so good, and Jesus encourages them in the areas where they're lacking. And then we get to the church in Laodicea, and it's nothing but thumbs down. It's all thumbs down. Why? Well, because as we will see, Laodicea has a whatever attitude towards Jesus. They sort of have everything going for them, and so they think, what do we need Jesus for? See, Laodicea was actually a very, very rich city, one of the richest cities in the Roman Empire, and they had mistaken their physical prosperity for spiritual prosperity. And so Jesus comes to them and he corrects that in them. Now, why does the letter to this church in the first century matter to you and I? Because while it was, this letter was written to Laodicea and the others to the other churches, the intent of the Bible is that our church in 2018 might learn from this letter and from the other letters. Are there areas in our church that are only thumbs down and that we need to assess and correct? Are there areas in your own personal life as you, uh, as, as you are part of this church that you need to correct? You might say, like the Laodiceans, I'm fine, things are going pretty well. But Jesus would say, eh, I think you're a bit mistaken. And just like Jesus' letter to the Laodiceans was grace to them, hopefully this sermon will be grace to you and that you would respond to Jesus. Open your Bibles, if you would, with me to Revelation 3. That's where we're going to be. Revelation 3. And we're going to start in verse 14. And the title this morning is A Whatever Church. A Whatever Church. And my hope is that as you think of that word, whatever, that every time I say it, you would think of my daughter going, whatever, dad. Jesus sends this letter, and I have three points this morning, a typical three-point sermon, sorry. Uh, And here's the first one. A whatever attitude towards Jesus is due to, number one, an authority problem. An authority problem. Read with me, if you would, starting in verse 14. Jesus says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, and I want just to note that angel is a word that was used um, for, the, for the pastor of that church. So it would be as if he's saying, to the pastor of the church in Laodicea, write these things. And the intent was that the pastor would then say the things to the church. To the pastor of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So Jesus is introducing himself, right? Just like we might in a letter. And he uses some interesting terms. First, he calls himself the amen. Why would he do that? Well, we sort of understand amen, maybe. Like we say amen when we're done praying, but you ever wonder like, what, where'd it come from? What does it mean? Well, it has Hebrew roots, um, amin, which actually means truth or trustworthy. And God in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament is, is um, described as the God of truth or the God of amen. 
And so what Jesus is doing here, interestingly, is he's making a claim to his divinity. See, there was a heresy or a false teaching in that region that Jesus was not God, that he was just a prophet. He was just a guy. He was another created being. And so with Jesus saying, introducing himself as the amen, he knows his audience, both Jew and Gentile, probably in this church in Laodicea, and he's, he's drawing their attention back to Isaiah where God describes himself as the amen, and Jesus is saying, I too am the Amen the son of God, the uncreated one, divine. And then he doubles down on that claim by saying the, tr- the faithful and true witness, as if what he is saying is, what I'm about to say to you, church, carries all of the weight of God the Father, and you had better listen because what I'm saying about you is true. Don't slough it off. And then he describes himself as the beginning of God's creation. And we're like, What? Like, I thought the whole point was that Jesus was not created. Like, how does this make any sense? Well, some Bible translations, I think, are, don't just use this word correctly. Sometimes when we use, like when I use Greek words, I'm like, oh, I know the Greek words. Um, it's just to sound smart, I'll be honest. Uh, sometimes, however, it's really, really helpful. Because if we don't know the Greek behind our English interpretation, it gets our theology all out of whack. This is one of the proof texts that, um, maybe a Jehovah's Witness would use to say, hey, see here, see, Jesus is created. Well, the word behind beginning, the beginning of God's creation is the Greek arche, which is better translated originator. Uh, the originator of God's creation. So they see that turns the whole thing on its, on its head. Maybe your Bible uses originator. I wish that the ESV did, the version that I'm using, but it doesn't, so whatever. Um, <laughs> but the word back there is RK, the originator of God's creation. So Jesus is saying, basically, he's introducing himself as God, making a claim on his divinity. And he does this because the Laodiceans had decided to sort of listen to themselves. They wanted to be their own authority. They wanted to make decisions that they wanted to make and not listen to what Jesus and what he had to say. And so maybe you're here and you're kind of like the Laodiceans in that way. Maybe, maybe you have an issue with authority. Maybe you kind of want to do what you want to do and what God wants, to, wants you to do isn't really first on your priority list. See, Jesus introduces himself as God and their attitude is kind of like, meh, whatever. I wonder if you have an authority problem like the Laodiceans. See, whatever attitude towards Jesus is due to an authority problem. Do you have an authority problem? Here's a good test, perhaps, to ask yourself or to discern if you do. Do you get to pick and choose which parts of the Bible you obey? How does your life work itself out? Do you see some things, okay, I can do the not murder thing, like, I got that. But the honor your father and mother thing is like, whoo, or the don't covet what belongs to your neighbor is like, yee, or remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, or you should have no other gods before me, and you go, ah, well, kind of pick and choose what are the easy parts, 
and everything else. It's kind of like, I'd like to be my own authority when it comes to those things. Do you have an authority problem? Secondly, a whatever attitude towards Jesus is due to a passion problem. A passion problem. Continue with me in verse 15. I know your works, Jesus says. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Wow. Pretty harsh words from Jesus, right? Like you, you nauseate me. It's actually the Greek word is like to projectile vomit. See, Jesus is using some of the, ge- of the geographic features here to make his point. Up in the north of Laodicea was a city called Hierapolis. And Hierapolis, even today, they have hot springs that come out of the ground and you can go bathe in those hot springs. And they would, you know, help your back problem or whatever it happened to be. Then down south in Colossae, they had a natural spring and it produced drinking water, cool, pure drinking water. But in Laodicea, the river that ran through that area was too dirty to drink from. And so the Laodiceans were so rich that they actually built a pipe and piped water in from a water source from another city. But it would go through, you know, they didn't have like construction grade PVC back in that day. So they had these stone pipes and they would move the water through these stone pipes. But as it did, it would pick up all the impurities of the stone, all the minerals. And by the time it got to Laodicea on its six mile journey, it was warm and it kind of tasted like, like, have you ever had like well water and it like might have sulfur in it? It tastes like you're drinking farts. You ever had that? You know what I mean? And you're like, yeah. And you might, you might just go, yeah. That's kind of what was happening in Laodicea. Like if you were from out of town and you went to grab a drink of water, you, ugh, it's nasty, you know? Sorry, Walt. But that's what's happening here. So I'm, I've made light of it, but rein it back in because this is very serious. Jesus is saying to the people in, La- in Laodicea, you have a passion problem. You're neither hot, passionate for me, neither cold. You're just in the middle. You're indifferent. You don't really care so much. You're not making a big stink about anything. And that sort of indifference towards me makes me physically sick. Now, interestingly, he says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Now, hot we get, like hot we equate with passion. The word there is zestos, which is where we get zealous or passionate. So we understand that. Like, I'm passionate for God. I love God. I want to serve God. But I, I go on mission trips. I help the needy. I come to church, whatever it happens to be. I read my Bible. I pray. I'm involved in a life group, right? Like, we, we get passion. Like, okay, I can see how Jesus would want people to be that way. But to say, I'd rather you be hot or cold? Like, cold here is direct opposition to God. Like blatant, I hate God. I'm on a crusade to prove that God is not true, right? That, that's the way that cold is described. And Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold as opposed to this middle ground, this whatever, this indifference, lukewarmness, he calls it. Well, why? I would submit to you that this is why. At least a person who is adamantly opposed to God knows where he or she stands. See, the danger here in Laodicea is that they go to church on Sunday. And 
They're rich, and so they've probably given a lot of money into the offering plate. And maybe they're helping the poor in their community. But the problem is, is that they are still the rulers of their own lives. They have not submitted to nor put their faith in Jesus Christ. They are churchgoers, hypocrites, perhaps, people who are just trying to get by. Well, maybe if I go to church, I can like get a check mark from Jesus. Maybe I'll punch my ticket if I do some of the right things, but I don't really want him to be in charge of my life. I still want to do all the things I want to do. So maybe I'll just go to church and see if, see if that helps. See if that'll solve my problem. See, one of the biggest problems in the church today is not the atheist, is not the opposed to Christianity. See, a person who is not a Christian, at least we have something to talk about. At least we can have a conversation about you stand over there and I stand over here and we can converse about where we're at spiritually. Somebody who thinks they're a Christian but is a faker, it's maddening to have that conversation. It's very difficult. The most difficult person for me as a pastor to minister to here at this church is not a non-Christian, nor is it a passionate Christian. It's somebody who's a Sunday churchgoer who doesn't truly have a relationship with Jesus. Frederick Huntington was a pastor at the turn of the century, and he says this, it's not scientific doubt, not atheism, not pantheism, not agnosticism, that in our day and in this land is likely to quench the light of the gospel. It is a proud, sensuous, selfish, luxurious, church-going, hollow-hearted prosperity. I talked to my uncle, he was here earlier, and he goes, man, I came in here all happy, and then you preach, and I'm like, hey. And I would submit to you, friends, that there are churches all over this country and their aim is to make sure that everybody just stays happy. And it's doing a disservice to millions of people because they're happy and wealthy and things are going well, like the Laodicean church, and they are deceived. They have a passion problem. They don't really want to follow Jesus. They just want to see if they can get what he's got to offer so they can sneak their way into heaven. And Jesus said, that attitude, more than any other attitude, makes me sick. Or whatever attitude towards Jesus is due to a passion problem. Secondly, or thirdly, or whatever attitude towards Jesus is due to a reality problem. So we have that whatever attitude is due to an authority problem, a passion problem, and finally a reality problem. Jesus continues in verse 17. He says to the Laodiceans, for you say, I am rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. They've got skewed reality, right? See, we know that the Laodiceans are rich, but let me tell you why they're rich. Because Jesus uses their sources of income 
to explain their situation. First, Laodicea was a banking center. So if you recall the map that was up there earlier, there are two roads that go through Laodicea, traveling east out of Ephesus to Syria, and then up from the ports in the south, up through Laodicea to go to the cities in the north. And so they were a banking center and a highly traveled route. And so their, their banking there was known worldwide. And just like bankers today, like they were doing pretty well. You know, they were, they were pretty rich. In fact, listen to this. In AD 61, an earthquake ruined Laodicea. Okay, just totally knocked Laodicea off the map. And the Roman government was gonna send them an aid package. Like, hey, we'll help you rebuild the city. Just like we might do here under, you know, with a hurricane or a flood or something. And the Laodiceans say, no, we're good. We've got plenty, literally. They, they denied Tacitus, the, the, uh, the, the Roman historian reports this, that they rejected the Roman money and said, we'd like to pay for it ourselves so that we can make the city the way that we want it. And they built it bigger and better than it was before. So they're filthy, stinking rich. They're the center of banking and they feel that way. That's how they respond. They say, I'm rich. I don't have any need of anything. And Jesus says, no, you're not. In fact, you're poor. I want to draw your attention. A few weeks ago, we looked at the letter to the church in Smyrna a very poor church, going through severe persecution. And Jesus says to them, I know your tribulation and I know your poverty. And then he says, but you are rich. So clearly Jesus is talking about a different type of economy here. He talks about this earlier in the gospels. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where dust and moth will corrupt them, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He's talking about a spiritual reality versus a physical reality, and the Laodiceans had allowed their physical reality to cloud their spiritual reality. So they were bankers, but they were also um, um, merchants of fine clothing. In that area, there were, um, there were these black wooled sheep that would graze. And so the people in Laodicea would take that black wool and harvest it, and they would, um, they would make these beautiful dark gowns and pieces of clothing that were highly sought after in, uh, in, in all of that area. And so they're sort, you know, it's like a really nice wool suit. And they would sort of, they're sort of saying like, look at us. We have plenty of money. Look how well we're dressed. Like we're taking care of ourselves. And Jesus' response then is, no, you're not. You're naked. Now, why would he say that? Well, nakedness in that time was the greatest shame. The greatest shame. And so he's trying to bring, bring their reality back into focus by saying, you're not well clothed, your physical reality is in opposition to the spiritual reality that I see in your heart. Your sin has made you naked and shameful. So they're bankers, they're merchants of fine clothing, and they even had a hospital in this place. It's like doctors and bankers, like they're doing okay, you know? Um, and so they had this, this, these famous doctors in the area that had found this stuff called Fergan powder and they would grind it up and they would put it into like a clay and they would put it on the eyes and it would solve eye problems. It would fix, you know, different, different issues that people had with, with eyesight or pain. And they're sort of, again, they're saying like, look, look, look how well we're doing. We're not only taking care of our physical needs financially, but we can fix our own physical problems to which Jesus says, no, you're blind. 
You're not seeing things clearly. Have you ever had that sort of scenario in your life where you see things one way and then somebody else brings something up to you and you realize that you are not in touch with reality? I had a good friend of mine, and uh, when we were in high school, I thought I was pretty cool, you know? Had my letterman's jacket. And, uh, you know, I got good grades or whatever, and I thought I was, you know, like, what's up, what's up, what's up, you know? And this guy came up to me, who was a good friend of mine, and we had to talk about how people felt about me, and he said, Joe, the problem is you are a beep. <laughs> and then he went on to explain why, indeed, he felt that I was a rear end. And as he explained these things to me, and why people felt this way about me, I was like, whoa. I didn't realize that's what was going on. And maybe you've had that kind of realization where a friend or a coworker or a boss or a spouse, or maybe even one of your sons or daughters has said to you what is actually true about you. And it sets you back a little bit like, whoa, I didn't realize that things were like that. I didn't realize that I was acting that way. I didn't realize that's the way that I was coming off. And there are two ways that we can respond. We can respond with arrogance. I don't have an anger problem. Okay. You're right, you don't. Or, or we can respond with humility. I will consider these things. I apologize for the way that I've acted. I desire to grow in them. Jesus has said to these people, he's totally turned their reality upside down and he calls them now to respond in humility. Whatever attitude towards Jesus is due to an authority problem, a passion problem, and a reality problem. Do you have a reality problem? Here's a test to consider Do you have to trust God with your daily life or have you set your life up so that you don't have to? So when you lose your job, do you go to prayer first or do you go to the internet to find a job? When you're sick, do you go to the Lord first or do you go to the hospital? Or is it that you go to Jesus when everything else has dried up? When the finances and the healthcare and the friends or whatever, once those things are exhausted... Well, then Jesus is like the backup. Do you have a reality problem thinking that you can take care of yourself with the resources that you have when in fact the state of your heart could not be more opposite? You think that your physical prosperity is equal to spiritual prosperity. Now, here's the thing that I love about Jesus. Because, like, when my daughter goes, whatever, Dad, I go, you, you go to your room. And she goes, whatever. <laughs> but, that, right, that's how we, oh, we just get so angry. We get so frustrated. But I love how Jesus responds because, because while we might have, in, to, to one degree or another, a whatever attitude towards Jesus, he does not return that attitude towards us. Even in our rebellion, Jesus is in love with us. 
And he comes to us and he doesn't say, go to your room or get out of my face or leave me alone or you're grounded. He says, come to me. I've got solutions for your problems. And this is what he says to the Laodiceans in verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy gold from me refined by the fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, Jesus says, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you notice how Jesus' rebuke is out of love? How he says to them, I'm saying these things to you not because I'm trying to make you feel miserable about yourself, not because I'm trying to send you to your room and call, like, I'm saying them because I want you to come out of the sin. I'm saying them because I want you to step into reality. I'm saying them because I love you and if you don't listen to me, eternity is going to look very bleak for you. And so he says, come to me. And in opposition to the, we have riches and we have clothes and we have salve to fix our eyes, he says, no, come and get true spiritual riches from me. Come and get real faith refined by the fire. Go through a little bit of pain and suffering with me on your side and see if I don't hold on to you and make sure that you make it through. Get, 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 get rid of all of, the, of all of the things that you think are making you safe and come to me and find real faith that will make you safe for eternity. He says, in your nakedness, the sin is causing you to look naked and pitiable. Even though you've got really nice clothes, spiritually, you're naked and you're sinful and you're shameful. He says, come to me and I will give you a white garment I will clothe you in my righteousness so that you may not be shown to be naked and sinful anymore. Come to me and get salve to anoint your eyes. See, the Bible tells us that what the devil does to the unbeliever is that he blinds our eyes so that we cannot see spiritual reality so that we cannot see the, the depth of our sin, so that we do not see Jesus as desirable. But Jesus says, if you come to me, I will give you real salve to put on your eyes, not to, not to fix your physical maladies, but to fix your spiritual maladies that you might see your sin and see me as the solution to that sin. See, in Jesus, when we come to him, everything changes. Our authority pattern the person in whom our authority is found changes and our passion changes and we come to grips with our true spiritual reality. Jesus will change your whatever attitude. He will change your whatever into however. Lord, however you want to use me, I will go. If it's safe, if it's not safe, if it's difficult, if it costs some money, if it costs some time, however you want to use me, I will do it. 
He'll change your whatever to wherever. Lord, wherever you want me to go, whatever job you want me to have, whatever missions field you want me to engage, I will do it. He'll change the whatever to whoever. God, if it's the person across the street, if it's the person on the other side of the world, whoever you want me to share the love of Jesus with, I will go there, I will do it. He'll turn your whatever into passionate love of your neighbors and radical risk-taking on the missions field and lavish giving of your resources and unquenchable thirst for his word. He will take your whatever and completely transform you into however, whenever, wherever. As a church, we desire to grow in prayer in 2018. And so we have been producing... Uh, or co- coming up with, producing sounds weird, coming up with like a quick prayer for each church, a quick prayer that we might say in response to the things that are going on in each letter to the churches. And here's the prayer for this morning, for the church in Revelation. Lord, change my whatever to whenever, however, whoever. Lord, would you change my whatever to whenever, however, whoever. So how do we respond to this this morning? I know I've been flying through this, so maybe you're like, I'm, t- I'm tired, can't go anymore. Give me five more minutes and we're done. How do we respond to this? What do we, what do, we do? Well, I think there are probably a good amount of you in the room who are true Christians. You're truly a Christ follower. You have given authority of your life over to Jesus you're, you're passionate about serving him. You've got a clear, like one of the things that I find about true Christians is that they've got such a clear view of their spiritual reality that they realize how sinful they are and how much they are in need of a savior. Like I will raise my hand. I am really messed up. And that is why I'm thankful for Jesus and his forgiveness of my sins. So maybe that's you here and you go, oh, I don't know if this sermon really isn't for me because I am passionate, I love Jesus, but here's what I would just challenge you with. There may be certain areas of your life where you have drifted into a whatever attitude. Like maybe when you first became a Christian, like you wanted to tell everybody about Jesus and you wanted to share your faith and you had, you know, relationships with people that you were, you know, caring for them and giving to them, but you've been rejected maybe so many times. Like, you know, people have said like, shut up, Jesus, you know, crazy person. Um, And you've been rejected so many times that you've kind of drifted back into whatever. Like, I'm not really gonna share my faith anymore. Or maybe that's the case with your finances or with your missions efforts. Maybe as you've, you know, maybe when you were young, you were like, yeah, I'm going on the missions field. I'm gonna go serve poor people. I'm gonna do all these things. And now as you're getting older, you're like, that doesn't seem too wise. It's not very safe out there, is it? And you've drifted kind of back into eh, whatever, like I'll let the youngsters do it. I've got a tool that I created that I'd like you to assess. It's inside of your uh, program. And it's called a whatever attitude checkup on the front and back. So if you're a Christian here, maybe you could just assess some of the areas in your life where maybe you have slipped into a whatever attitude And maybe you need to follow Christ's admonition here and be zealous and repent. Maybe there are some areas where you need to repent and we're gonna give you just a bit of time to do that. But I would encourage you to go through this with a trusted friend or a spouse or maybe another family member 
and to ask them about the true reality in your life. Like, do you see these things in me? We're not very good at self-assessment. I think I'm doing pretty good, But other people would go, no, you're not. You're terrible. So listen to those people a bit. Or maybe you're here and you're confident that you're not a Christian. Like, nope, Uh, that's not me. Maybe somebody drug you here, you know, like your mom grabbed you by your ear. You're going to church with me this morning. Or, you know, a friend invited you or whatever, and you're like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Christian. That's not me. That's not my thing. Uh, but maybe this morning, Jesus became a little bit more interesting to you. I think there's a way for you to respond, and it's the same way that I would ask those of you to respond who are in here who are just churchgoers, who are in that middle road where you just kind of come on Sunday And maybe you do the things that you feel you're supposed to do. You would consider yourself religious. But you haven't really given authority of your life to Jesus. He doesn't really have control over any part of who you are. He hasn't really transformed your whatever. Because you kind of sit in that middle going, "Eh, whatever, I mean... Jesus is good for those people. I mean, yeah, I'll go to church, but I don't really want him to be in charge of my life. You need to respond with repentance this morning. One of the most dangerous places to be is inside the church as a non-believer because you can easily fool yourself into thinking that you truly know Christ. So if you're in either of those last two categories, if you're, nope, I don't know Jesus, not interested in him, or you're just a churchgoer, maybe you would use this to assess yourself, churchgoer, if there are, I don't know, five, six, seven areas here that need real work, maybe you're not truly a follower of Christ, I would ask you this morning to repent, to say to the Lord, I'm sorry. And if that's what you'd like to do, I put a prayer on the screen. And this, like, I wrote this. It's not magical. It's not like, ooh, fancy prayer. Doesn't have any superpowers or anything. Uh, it's just a prayer. But if it reflects the attitude of your heart and you pray it this morning, you can take that first step towards Jesus, towards putting your faith in Jesus, towards changing your whatever attitude. Here's, here's what it says. Jesus, up until now, I've had a whatever attitude towards you. Thank you for not having that attitude towards me. I realize that I deserve punishment for my sin. Thank you for giving your perfect life in exchange for my sinful life. I put my trust in you today. Would you forgive my sin and change my whatever attitude? Amen. I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're at, Christian. I don't know where you're at, unbeliever. I don't know where you're at, churchgoer. But I do know that a whatever attitude towards Jesus is a dangerous attitude. A whatever attitude towards Jesus causes people to be in the position that we see in Matthew's gospel in chapter seven. People who are pretty convinced that they're gonna go to heaven, but they've not truly given their life to Christ. They've not repented of their sin and on the judgment day, Jesus says to me, says to them, depart from me. I don't know you. Not like, I don't know who you are. 
but you never put your faith and your trust in me. Therefore, you cannot enter into eternity in heaven. And so if you have a whatever attitude towards Jesus in any of those scenarios, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian or you're maybe a Christian, I would ask you to search your heart this morning. Perhaps use this tool to assess where things are at and repent. If this morning you, um, you chose to pray that prayer or you'd like to know more, there's a response card in the bulletin and there's just a way, there are ways to respond here and there's a place for your name on the back and this isn't gonna like put you on a mailing list or something. It's just a way that I can contact you and follow up and say, hey, how can I help? So if that's you, if you would just fill that out and put it in the offering plate later when it goes by. Um, we're gonna just spend a few minutes in response. Maybe, maybe you do need to repent. Maybe there are some areas on that checklist that you need to ask God for forgiveness. Maybe you'd like to ask Jesus to help you understand him a bit more or maybe you wanna take that first step of faith. Now is an opportunity to begin that journey, to take those first steps. So Nate's gonna lead us through some time of quiet and prayer, and then we'll close in song. If you would, though, before we do that, would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this letter to Laodicea. And I thank you that you use really harsh and cutting words, not because you're angry at this church, but because you love this church. And you desire this church to repent. And in the same way, you can see the people that belong to CVC or the visitors at CVC who don't know you and who you love and who you desire to have a relationship with you. Who you reach out to and say, would you come to me and get true eternal riches? Would you come to me and put on my righteousness instead of your sin? Would you, would you come to me and get salve to anoint your eyes so that you can see your reality? Jesus, we thank you that while we didn't deserve it, you chose to leave the comfort of heaven and come to this earth and live a sinless life, a perfect life, and then to die on the cross to exchange your perfection for our sin. That you would offer that great exchange to us. That on the cross, you took all of the punishment that we deserve. And you would give us, free of cost, your righteousness and your perfection. That we might be presented before the Father, holy and acceptable. I ask God for the whatever attitudes that exist in CVC. That you would root them out. That you would cause us to repent. That we would be a church that is zealous for you. That is passionate for you that you would transform our whatever attitudes into whenever, wherever, whoever. In Jesus' name, amen.